Yeah. Oh, hello, likes, welcome everyone to We Go Again podcast. It's uh, going again, and Christmas message back sitting in Gainsborough again this week. And sat here enjoying a quiet, pleasant evening in his back garden. It's me, Rob Oberfield. And all I can say is if a certain subject comes up tonight, don't stand back. <laughs> and here in uh, Bracknell, Berkshire, it's me, James Bartleby. And uh, the sound of Rob's fountain in the background is um, making me need to go to <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it does. Uh, uh, it's just nice listening to the summer's evening. It is. Uh, it sounds amazing. It's a beautiful day. Yeah. So, I don't know where to start, really, because uh, my WhatsApp's broken. Uh, so I'm actually having to look at my phone. It won't use it on my computer for the moment. So, I don't want to start with the, the controversy wind you up, Rob. So we are going to have to mention it today because uh, I'm, I'm interested now to, to see what uh, you uh, what the problem is. Um, so let's let's start over in in the Dutch with the Grassrap and beating Canberra in the relegation playoff. Now I'll let you start with this, James, but. You, you've probably got the German football on. There's some echoes of Germany going on, I think. Uh, yeah, the so it, I've, yeah, as you say, I've got the first leg of the uh, of the German relegation promotion playoff. Um, so if you if you're not familiar with it, the um, certainly in Germany, uh, the third bottom team in the top flight, the Bundesliga, takes on the third place team in the uh, second division, and the winner of that is in the Bundesliga for the next season. So usually it is. The, uh, the top flight team that wins it, even even though they've been in really bad form, and it's the same in same in the Netherlands as well. So it was the um, Eredivisie 17th place team, the Graf Sharp, up against Cambor, who finished third, I believe, in the um, in the uh, I can't remember what they call the second division. It's got some strange name with a lot of K's in it. Um, now the Graf Sharp won it 3-1 on aggregate. They, it was a one-all draw and a 2-0 win. Now, you wouldn't think anything of that. It's the top-flight team. They've won it. That's fine. However, Henk de Jong is the manager of de Graafschaar and before the end of the season, he, he, you know, his contract was up and he was leaving the club and he signed his next contract with his next employers. And you'll never guess who they are. It's only Campbell. Um, it's... I've never heard of anything like this before. It's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, when he—I don't know—I don't know exactly when he signed this contract. Um, I don't know if he expected them to be in the second division or if he—if they slumped. I haven't looked at the uh, at the form. I don't know if Campbell were top and then have dropped down. Um, but yeah, it's a conflict of interest is um, a bit of an understatement here. But to be fair to him. You know, he's led his his current employers to to the victory over his future employers. So he will actually be stepping down a division now to go and take charge of Cambor next season. Now, it, it's it's a, it's lose lose for him, isn't it? He just cannot win because if Cambor win that, then you know there are he leaves himself open to allegations, doesn't he? Of you know maybe not going all going all out for it because it's beneficial to him for Cambor to be in the air of the Vizri. Um, I, w- I heard about this, obviously, in the build-up to the first leg, and um, I think we've had both legs played since we last recorded. And I, I just thought, should he not have stepped down before this playoff? 
should you know should he not have gone to the club and looked said you know look I can't win in this situation my assistant should take charge or the under 23 coach should take charge or or something like that and I, just, I don't know I mean if it, as it goes no one can really have any complaints because you know his current employers the team he is contracted to um, have come through it um, we've, had, we've had it before we? a similar sort of thing where you know we had Sven in charge of England and we played Sweden and everyone was like oh how does he go about doing that but I suppose you've got to give your all for the club that you're currently employed with regardless of who it is that you're playing against so it, I just thought it was, a, it was one of those really strange stories that only football can bring up it's um it's really bizarre I don't know if you guys have heard of anything even I've, 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 I've heard of a very very big one last season in Germany Nico Kovac's oh, last game fun. in charge for Eintracht yeah. Frankfurt was the cup final against Bayern Munich no it's not not he already signed. He'd already yeah. signed the contract and was already going. And by minute, we're winning at one point. And I thought, oh, that looks, that's going to look really dodgy. And then well, we lost three months. <laughs> yeah, <I think> <laughs> so so I think that's it, about the only time I've heard. Yeah, it, it's heard not, it. it's not, I would say it's probably not quite. It's probably more high profile, but it's probably not quite as severe because it doesn't affect what division they're playing in. Yeah. Um, and he got his revenge actually this season because on the final day of the season, um, Bayern beat. Eintracht 5-1 and won the league so <laughs> kind of uh, well he didn't get his revenge did he because he was yeah. <laughs> he, he won both times um, yeah. but yeah it's such a strange one I mean what do you think he should have stepped down do you think he I don't know I just I, it must have been yeah. really, really torturous for him going into these two games because like as I say he was no win for him yeah I mean it rather does beg the question about when you know as you said when were the contracts signed when did he agree to take over if, if if anything, it's a bit of a warning to you know to other clubs um, that this is the scenario you could find yourself in if you go too soon looking for a new manager for next season. I think in a lot of other cases, it would have been a case of the manager would say, season hasn't finished. Let me finish the season and then I'll sign. So it's a case of even if it wasn't anticipated, this would be the, you know, this would be the match that would decide both clubs season it really shouldn't have in my view even been thought about in signing him as the next new manager of Canberra it shouldn't have happened basically while he's still contracted it should have been a case of that's my contract these are my employers I'll talk to you when it's done you know there's a little bit of fault there the fact that just being too quick off the mark led to this situation and put the poor poor guy in loads of you know Loads of moral pressure anyway, not necessarily, you know, actual pressure, but I don't know. Uh, as you said, there's just no way he can win. You know, if Canberra win, it, people would say, lucky through the game. There is new employers, of course, he wants them to get into the Army DVZ. Of course, they're going to want to say that. But with the results, as it came, you know, as it finished up with the Graf Shop getting, you know, a comfortable victory in the end, it's, you know, the supporters of Canberra are just going to possibly want to ask you know what have we what have we done you know we've said we could have had the possibility of playing in the top flight for the first time in a year or two and you know we've put our future manager under pressure because of what we because of what's happened it's a <laughs> bit it's a bit of a strange one you'll, sorry Rob you'll never guess who we managed before the graph shop <laughs> go on he was at Cambo. 
He was assistant manager from 2010 to 2013, then interim manager in 2013, and then uh, assistant manager again. And then from 2014 to 2016, he was manager. And then he went to yeah. the graph shop in 2017. And now he's going back. So I guess, I, I, as I say, I don't know where Cambo were in the division. His Wikipedia page is like four lines long. So there's no, I've, I haven't got a clue when those contracts were signed, as we said. So, yeah, it's just just a bizarre story it'd be interesting actually to see if um if he celebrated at the final whistle <laughs> it's a difficult one that much i do know i wouldn't want to be in uh it's possibly going to have to ask some answer some questions <laughs> but yeah it's uh, definitely a tricky one no it's not uh, it's a, like you say it's it is an awkward one in you like to think everything's above board with it, but it does it does always uh, add add a little bit to it as well. Uh, so let's get rid of. So yeah, I think personally he would have gone out for a win. He, he professionally he's, he's going to go off for a win. He got he did what he needed to do, but yeah, it was wasn't a very good situation for him. No, um, poor guy. He must have aged about ten years over the course of those two games. <laughs> Well, I think the next thing that's that's really taken our eyes is the poor, the poor non-league who are going to be suffering sin bins, <laughs> yeah. which aren't oh, a bad God, yeah. thing. But I think James, you've highlighted the rule for the goalkeeper, and it just—it is—it's it's all crazy. <laughs> yeah. So. From I think it's from step four and below, isn't it? So that's yeah. um, that's uh, that's like the combined counties and down, isn't it? That that level. Um, so sin bins are coming in, as is quite often the case. These radical new things get uh, get trialled in non-league first. Um, well, you have so much resource to implement them. Yeah, exactly. Um, so for the goalkeepers in particular, it's a ten-minute sin bin. Um, players are allowed to warm up during. The time they're in the sin bin which you know is common sense isn't it of course if you've been if you've been running around playing the last thing you need to do is sit down for 10 minutes and then come back on and you know because you're just gonna you're just gonna um you're definitely gonna tear something pull something or or, or worse um they are so for, for the goalkeepers then in the, and i'll read this word for word in the case of a goalkeeper being sin binned an outfield player must take over his position for the 10 minute period so they can't even bring on their reserve keeper if they have one which step five and down in non-league it's not often that they do have one uh, on completing his or her sin bin period and this is the best bit the goalkeeper must re-enter the field of play as an outfield player until there is a stoppage player enabling him to go back in goal and the outfield player to resume so that is going to lead to some stories next season, isn't it? You're going to have Sinbin goalkeepers coming on up front because their six foot seven striker is obviously the best option to go in goal, and he'll, the goalkeeper will come on up front and score two goals or something. <laughs> You're just going to get goalkeepers scoring goals all season next season. I reckon it's it's going to definitely want to watch, and um, hopefully I might get to see some of that at, at Bracknell Town and and all around because I, I uh, live in the combined counties heartland so um it'll, it'll be interesting i just thought that was really really weird because if he's coming back on surely he could run into goal and then the outfield player could gradually make his way back to his position but it's, the, it'll be the shirt mm, well, well the yeah so i suppose they will make him give over the shirt won't they i guess 
Um, yes, I suppose they do swap shirts. Maybe I don't know. It's. I mean, I don't. The whole Sinbin thing as a whole, I'm not sure if I um, if I agree with it or not. I guess we'll. It'll, I'll have to try and make an effort to get to some games where it could be involved to see how it does work. Um, because it, I don't know. It's, I like the idea of it, but I, I just I don't know if it, if it if it'll be something that sticks. I've got a me. I've got. <clears throat> I've got a feeling it's. You know, people of making out more of this has been an issue. Was what the might is what it might be. Um, I can see where they're coming from, but then again, I can also see by the way it's written that you know, it's just trying to you know make life easier. Just because the ten minutes are up, you can't just wave the keeper back on and give them two minutes to change the shirt and stuff like that. You know, so it's a case of once the ten minutes are up, he's eligible to come back on the field. He can run around on the wing, getting making pest of himself. And, um, you know, and then as soon as the ball goes out of play, then they can do the whole change of it. It's basically trying to make sure that the game keeps moving and there's no unnecessary stoppages. And, um, you know, it's, I think, I think it's getting to the point of where these, you know, these ideas behind Simbins really need to be given a fair trial. Because I think in the past that's not happened. You know, dissent's getting a bit of a problem. Yeah. And, as as has been quite rightly said, as soon as it starts to kick in and players start to realise the fact that, you know, it's going to affect the rest of the teammates because they've either, through a gesture, through, you know, an ill-placed word, you know, temporarily put the team at a disadvantage. Like I say, you may not agree with what the referee has decided. You may have, you know, half a dozen reasons why he's wrong. But when all's said and done, You've got to accept his authority. And if you can't do that, and if you're going to question him all the time, you know, you need to just cool, cool off a little and just take a step back. And um, if this is what it takes, then this is what it takes. I know a lot of people think it's a bad idea, but, you know, you need to, something needs to be done. And I've always thought that dissent was one of the stupidest bookings you can ever get for the simple reason that it's self-inflicted. Yeah, you can get a yellow card for a bit of a late tackle. You can be clumsy. And, you know, but at least it's a footballing issue. You go to the referee and question his parentage, question his ability, question whether he's even a, a, you know, a proper referee or not, and you know the laws of the game better than he does, then you, you really should just take your punishment on the chin and deal with it. And if this is what it has to be, then it has to be. Then again, we can get back to having disciplinary matters over things that are football-related, not things that are related over somebody and a rather active mouth, or, you know, thinking they know better than the referee. Because let's face it, a lot of players and a lot of officials, when it comes to laws of the game, without putting too fine a point in it, are a bit ignorant. So it's a case of, you know, sometimes you need to take strong measures, and I hope this one works. Well, I think I've I've gone on record many times saying that I actually favour the idea of the sim bin. Um, I think it's there's enough normally enough stoppages in play that for throw-ins and free kicks and everything like that. That's uh, that is um, it surprises me that they're going to wave them back on for ten minutes because who, especially at this step four and below, who's going to be checking? How many watches is the referee going to have? How many eyes is he going to have? Uh, and so the thing is, the thing is for me, you, they could, should 
I, I don't think he should come back on until the natural stoppage in play. Be that kicking mm. the ball out or, or what. Mm. Um, but it must be something. And his, otherwise, that's going to lead to some confusion coming on. Um, because they're going to get waved back on. And then what happens if they're waved back on at the halfway line? Is that where they need to come back on? Or is it, can they come on back on from behind the goal? Or you, the, usual, the usual thing would be the halfway line. Which yeah. straight away could give an advantage uh, if the referee's not able to to see everything that's going on and see what advantage it's going to give. Well, I think it'll be that'll be dealt with in the same way that they do now. Is that when an injured player's gone off and he's been waved back on, the referee will not wave him back on when the ball is anywhere near that part of the field because of that fear of giving an advantage. So, say for an example. It's decreed that the player has to come on when the ball's, you know, at the halfway line, like it is with an injured, like there was possibly with an injured player, although they can come on pretty much at any place. If the ball's on, you know, within about 20 yards of the halfway line, down that dugout side, then the referee will not wave him back in. As soon as it gets far enough away from that area, so there will be no advantage if the ball was played into it, then it'll be waved back on. It, that'll probably be how it'll work. And to be honest, that's fair. You know, because everybody understands that concept through what's happening with an injured player. And taking yeah, it one step further... Yeah, I'm cynical about the injured players at times. I know sometimes it looks as if the injured players aren't necessarily injured, but they, you know, the mechanism will still be the same. It'll still be pretty much that, you know, if there's any danger and advantage being created by the player coming on at that point then it won't happen and it'll wait until the ball is in a different part of the field and it's not going to give that advantage to either side. I think that's the way to work. Yeah, it will be interesting to see how it how it finally comes in. And it's going to be... I'm glad they're doing it and it's going to be interesting to see the change, but I wish they would uh, do it a little bit uh, a little bit higher at the pyramid as well. Just because the, I'm, my concern is the resources down at that end of the pyramid are already stretched very thin Ooh. and so it's going to be hard for a, a yet another thing for the referee to police although if it stamps out dissent the better it is so speaking of dissent I'm going to have to talk to you Rob because I don't know how to pronounce the guy's name uh, um, James will know I'm sure James will know <laughs> What's that? How do we pronounce the Azerbaijani, uh, the Armenian guy's name? Oh, Henrik Mikatarian. There we go, Mikatarian. I don't. Now, well, I, don't, I think that's how we pronounce it. I don't think it actually. How, is. That's how it's going to be now because everyone's going to know who we're talking about. And this is going to set you off, Rob. So I'll let you set yourself going, <laughs> and I'll see where you go. And, well, the situation is there's been a, we all know there's been a lot of a lot of unhappy talk from the likes of Arsenal supporters, Chelsea supporters, a lot of supporters who might have wanted to go to the Europa League final, but because it's been held in in uh, Baku, uh, right down somewhere in the depths of Russia. Um, in Armenia, is it Armenia it's in or is it well, anyway it's down uh, in that pack Baku, Azerbaijan Azerbaijan that's it well the player concerned is Armenian 
And we all know that in recent years, it's not been exactly very friendly between the two nations. There's been issues in the past. And Mkhitaryan has decided, because of his own political views, that he doesn't feel safe going to play that match. And so therefore he has said he's not available. Now reading social media, the way it's erupted makes it sound like he's been prevented from playing by an external agency. Almost as if he's not being allowed to play. He's been refused permission to play. When all's said and done, what the player has done is make a personal decision based on his own personal politics to not make himself available, to withdraw himself. And so, of course, the team concerned that he plays for is up in arms. The supporters were up in arms. UEFA should never have scheduled this match there. Should never have even thought about arranging a final of this magnitude for, for a place like that. And yet this is a city that also hosts Formula One Grand Prix with no problems. With probably as many supporters entering the city, entering the area, as what there will be for the Europa League final. There's been an issue over the tickets and that's been sort of like rolled into the, into the issue as well. And I'm just thinking, all these supporters that are making out that, yeah, you know, the player has been some way deprived of taking part in the game, when he's made his own personal political decision to say, I don't feel safe going there, so therefore I'm not available to play. I'm sorry, if that's your way of thinking, then perhaps you don't deserve to play. Perhaps you shouldn't be, you know, involved in top flight football if you're going to let your politics rule you know, where you're going to play. I mean, the three of us were not quite old enough to remember the going on about apartheid in the 70s and so on, where players, cricketers used to go to South Africa to play cricket. They were ostracised. And there was also more and more people who, you know, refused to play there, and quite rightly so. But when it's one person, one player, well, just because of the fact the country that which this final has been played in, has been at odds with the country that he calls his, that he was born in, that he's a proud citizen of, except when he's playing football in, the, in Britain. Um, it just makes me think, you know, what does he want? What does he expect? 24-hour bodyguard? Does he? Because I just don't understand it. There's just so many events have taken place in Baku over the last five, ten years with no issues. And yet he suddenly decides that he's got one. I think, well, all the support, I think all the supporters just to take a step back and realise that he's not being prevented from playing. He's choosing to not play. So therefore, I have no sympathy. If he'd been suspended, injured, ill, he had, you know, his family was, you know, he had a family illness to go, and, you know, to go and run to, nobody would care. They would say, fine, yeah, go ahead, that's great. You know, not the suspension, but you know what I mean, all the injury, but you know, they would understand. But this is just one person deciding, I don't feel safe. It's his personal choice. He's been given guarantees to his safety. And he says, no, I don't believe you. So he's basically saying, I know better than you guys. I know that I'm not going to be safe when I go there. So therefore, I'm not going to. I'm going to stay here where I'm perfectly safe and just, you know, sit and see what happens. And, you know, I just think it's, it's not, the, not so much the clubs I'm getting at. It's the supporters who are making out that he has been somewhere being restrained. No easy. Let's get it right. He's chosen to do it. He's made his decision. The old saying goes, and we've all been told it at times in our lives, you've made your bed, 
lie on it. And he can lie on this one because he'll not get any sympathy from me and neither will the clubs. I, it, I mean, he's, he's had previous already this season because he, uh, he didn't play um, against Carabag, I think it was. Um, wherever, it, wherever it is at their best, I can't quite remember. Yeah, I think um, they're Armenian. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, um, it was a, a similar sort of thing. Um, yeah. I don't know an awful lot about the situation between Armenia and Azerbaijan. I think there's some, there's some territory um, that mm. is populated mainly by Armenians, but is officially Azerbaijani or something like that. I think. Yeah. Um, I'm not, as I say, I'm not a hundred percent sure on the details. Um, I have sympathy with him because, you know, it, it, if he feels it's going to affect the team or the, you know, the team's chances on the pitch, or if it feels like it's going to affect his family, or his family can't go to watch him in the final, then, you know, I do have certain sympathies. Um, I have heard reports that um, Arsenal fans of Armenian descent have been refused uh, permission to go, uh, you know refuse visas or entry to the country or what, whatever it is that they need they've, apparently they've been refused that uh, the whole the whole thing I mean whether whether you agree with Mkhitaryan's standpoint or not I mean the fact is it's a, it, it is one of two major continental finals you know we only have two continental finals and it, it, for it to be put in such a politically sensitive area is ill-advised at best. I mean, both clubs only got six and a half thousand tickets. Both clubs are returning over half of those. Um, there's apparently there's one direct flight a week from London, um, so you have to go through. I think it's Tbilisi most fans are trying to get through. But I've got um, Chelsea and Alpha fans at work. Um, they've they've inquired about how you know made inquiries into going. They said it's going to take like nearly a day each way to get there and back and it, it's just it's just ridiculous and obviously pro- prohibitively expensive um i i understand uefa's reasoning that they want to bring these prestige finals to areas of the areas of the um the uh the uefa family in, in quotes that wouldn't maybe necessarily see the likes of of arsenal chelsea Atletico Madrid or whoever else might be in the final. Um, but you've still got to think about it logistically. You've still got to think about the fans that are going there. Yes, it was awarded in 2017, the final. They awarded two years in advance. But whoever gets there are going to struggle to get there. <laughs> and um, it, it, it just makes a mockery. I mean, even even back in 2005, the Istanbul final, the, uh, Liverpool, the famous comeback, that, that mm. stadium was really tough to get to because it, I think it was newly built and the, the infrastructure wasn't there, the public transport wasn't there, you know, and that, that's Turkey. That's that's an easy country to get to, but the stadium itself was really, really hard to get to. And, uh, yeah, I have I have some sympathy with your viewpoint, Rob. I have a lot mm. of sympathy with, with Mkhitaryan's viewpoint. My main sympathy was with the clubs and the fans because you know i mean mkhitaryan to be fair it the one thing i would i am slightly skeptical of is if it had been the champions league final would he have said this i kind of think he might have um not i think he might have gone to play 
I also think he probably would have played in Man United Europa League final against Ajax a few years ago. I think he was still a United player at the time. I think he probably would have played in that. Um, so it's maybe not not as big as it was. He's, he's come out and he said it hurts for him not to be going. Um, but I also think as well, I think the Arsenal statement didn't really condemn UEFA either. It just said, basically it just said, we're sad that we're having to leave him behind. And it's just, I just think both clubs should be stronger. I, I'd, I'd even go as far as to say both clubs should boycott it. Not on the political thing, not on the Mkhitaryan thing, on the fact that their fans can't get there and they've only got 6,000. These are, these are Premier League clubs. Arsenal get 60-odd thousand every home game. Chelsea would get that if they had the stadium big enough. Um, and apologies if you can hear the neighbour's dog. He's, um, he's going a bit crazy. Um, and so I... I just think the whole thing is an absolute mess. I don't, you'd, I don't think you'd ever see the Champions League final in Baku because, you know, it's a huge, huge match. Um, I just don't think they'd, they'd, they'd do that. Um, having said that, Baku is hosting some Euro 2020 matches, so who knows? Um, I just think it's a whole, whole mess that UEFA have brought upon themselves and I think they deserve every criticism because regardless of logistics... It's a politically sensitive area, and I'm not sure it should it should be there in the first place. There are plenty of other countries around. You know, you could you could put it in Poland. You could put it, you know, in in the Czech Republic, in the Ukraine. You could put it in, you know, in uh, if you want to take it to that part of the world, you could put it somewhere a little bit more easy to get to. It does it. it it's it's more high profile because it's Arsenal and Chelsea. If it was, um, who did they knock out? Uh, it was Eintracht Frankfurt and Valencia, wasn't it? If it was those two going, we wouldn't be talking about it. You know, it, True. It, it wouldn't be an issue. But for those fans of those two teams, they would be having the exact same problems. It, you know, UEFA are getting a bashing because it's, a, it's two Premier League teams going over to Azerbaijan. You know, it was it was given in, it was awarded in September 2017, but should it have been awarded to Baku in the first place? That's that's my big issue. It's a politically sensitive area. There was always a chance that it was going to cause issues somewhere. They even said in their statement logistically to to justify the fact that they only gave six and a half thousand tickets. They said we knew no one would be able to get there. <laughs> so if you knew that, why put it there in the first place? That's that's my big problem. It's a politically sensitive area, and you can't get to it. So why put it there? I think part of it is depending on the on the clubs or the stadium authorities that actually bid for it. That's the thing. You know, it was a case of was there's the best bid? Did it look the best option? And I mean, if you want to go on about politically sensitive areas, could you imagine holding the Europa League, say, for an example, in Kiev? And um, Dynamo Moscow gets the final. Yeah, qualify to final. Yeah, yeah it's in case of... No, no matter where you go in Eastern Europe, this thing would be potential. The potential is to happen. I mean, it, a lot of it, again, comes down to what clubs in what year tender for, you know, to host the game. Because let's not, because let's not forget, as you quite rightly said, it's, it's a big logistical, you know, operation to actually put the match on in the first place. And, you know, it's, as, has been, as has been said in other places... You know, it's the uh, the city has you know hosted other events 
quite successfully without any issue. But there's one thing you are definitely right about, James, and it's because of the two clubs involved that it's been such an issue. But, again, to me, there's... I don't know. It's almost as if, and this is maybe getting completely the wrong slant on things, which is pretty much par for the course, generally. Um, There's almost like a scary sense of Premier League entitlement drifting across the whole scenario just because yeah. of who they are and you know as you quite rightly said i track frankfurt valencia you know in this country we wouldn't care but because it's two of our biggest clubs we're all up in arms about it you know in this case of are we thinking we are bigger than better than what we actually are you know do we deserve better than what you know do we think we deserve better than what's actually happening you know and it's part of the reason that I find, you know, a lot of the problems I have with, you know, supporters of some of these big clubs is this sense of mis- sometimes misplaced entitlement just because of the name, because of who they are. That, you know, things should be this way, the way they want them to be, not the way that outsiders feel they should be. And that's, that's, a prim- that's the Premier League in general. They do. Yeah, it, it is. It is. I mean, if you'd had, you know, any other club qualifying for the Europa League final. I mean, say for an exact, you know, say for an example, you know, you had a club from, you know, who qualified for the Europa League from Serie A. I can't remember. Uh, but, Napoli you know, were in there, weren't they? Yeah. And, you know. Like I say, like I say, Napoli tobacco wouldn't be a picnic, wouldn't be a stroll in the park. You say for an example, you got, you know, one of the Scandinavian clubs making it all the way to the final, crazy though it sounds. You know, it would be just they would just be so grateful to be where they were. Look, we've got to the Europa League final. Brilliant. Where is it being held? Baku. Oh never mind. Yeah, we'll, you know. we'll find a way, we'll get there, you know. Yeah, it's a case of that just it, you see. Whereas a lot of the supporters I get the impression of in the Premier League have this sense of entitlement that things should be the way they want them to be, the way they decree they should be. And I'm sorry, but that ain't the way the world works, guys. It's a case of there is, you know, you have made a decision for right, for wrong, good or bad, that's what it is. You know, you've got to accept it, deal with it. And, you know, some of the crazy things I've been seeing on social media is basically saying that, you know, it should be switched to Wembley. Very, very, you know, it's a case of trying to arrange the Europa League final takes a good 18 months. We've seen that. Does anybody seriously, in all honesty, think that you could actually switch everything from playing it in Baku to playing it in Wembley and still I, make it run successfully. I don't know that you could. In fact, I don't I'm think done, you could do it in less than a month. I'm not, I'm not sure I, I, I completely agree with that because there have been talks before of, I don't know how true they are, but you, you've heard rumours for the last couple of World Cups that the grounds aren't ready and, and like um, the USA and England and, and Spain and that have all offered to, to put it to, you know, to be an alternative venue if if it wasn't ready in South Africa or if it wasn't ready in Brazil, that we, you know, we could put it on. And in fairness, we could put a World Cup on tomorrow. It, it, it wouldn't be an issue for us. We don't need to do anything to any ground. The, the infrastructure is already there. The, the railways are there. The, you know, everything is, is there. We could host one, like I said, tomorrow. It, mm. it, we really could. So I think for one game, mm. I think you probably... I'm not sure. The, on, the only issue is you probably couldn't... Be, from when the semi-finals have been played, because you couldn't switch it to Wembley. Um, well, I suppose you know you, you could if 
when you consider it was Eintracht Frankfurt, Valencia, Arsenal and Chelsea in the semi-final, you could maybe say, hang on a minute, we um, we probably should move it. But the amount mm. of compensation you'd then have to pay to Baku, you'd have to yeah. give them that money back that they paid yeah. you to, uh, to have it in the first place. I mean, so I I mean of, the four, of the four clubs in the semi-final, you know, a great ground to have had it would be the Stade de France. Easy yeah. to get to for easy to get to for everybody, big enough to be able to host and you know warrant a big. Um, it's in France. Yeah, <laughs> but it's but it's but it's easy for everybody to get to. I mean, come on, think Frankfurt to Paris is no distance. Valencia to Paris, that's not a long flight, you know. And again, you know, you well, that's what the Euro starts for, you know, getting from London to Paris. You know, that's the point, you know. But the, as you quite rightly said, James. The compensation and all the things that would have to change, and doing it within a couple of months. I mean, is it quite? Yeah, we have the infrastructure there, but have we the? You know, can we change everything over from one stadium to another stadium, and do it and make it seamless and make it work? Given the way a lot of the world seems to work these days, I'm not entirely sure it would. But it's just you know, I just don't get how you know. All of this has come to pass and been conflated into one argument that, you know, your wife have screwed up, your wife shouldn't have done it there. And it's basically turning into a bit of a perfect storm for them. Well, let's just hope, let's just it, hope that the match turns into one of those classic finals it that won't, everybody remembers from... It won't. It probably will be. boring penalty, penalty it, shootout. It'll be nil-nil yeah. penalties. It'll be worse than the Man United Chelsea. Yeah. Two th- was it so 2008, their Champions League final in Moscow? It'll be horrible. Well, that's the only way that this would, everybody will forget about what's happened leading up to the final. It'll be as if the match is a great one. And let's face it, the Europa League finals of recent years, not many of them have been memorable. <laughs> no. I mean, I, I, would just, I would just... Sorry, Christian. I, I would just, you know, just like to clarify. I, it, it's a fantastic idea to put the final in places like that because... At the end of the day, clubs from that area of the world um, are not likely to get to the last stages. So for to have the work that, you know, some of the best players in the world coming over, um, you know, especially two Premier League clubs. I mean, yeah. the Premier League is massive everywhere. So they will, I mean, in Azerbaijan, there will be thousands of Chelsea fans. There will be thousands of Arsenal fans. Mm. It's fantastic. And if there are 45, 55,000 locals in the... Um, in the stadium absolutely fantastic that is brilliant i don't have a problem with uefa trying to put it put it in countries that might not necessarily um get a team that far in in competition but i think you've got to be very very careful because over that sort of eastern europe area to say rod is very Mm. volatile and it is very very likely to cause issues such as this um, and no. yet, and yet, in one respect, you cannot turn to these countries and say, because of your political climate, because of your political situation, we don't, we don't think you should host these games True, because, because we don't think you can't do that. FIFA say politics shouldn't come into football, but it yeah, does. exactly, it does, it does, it um, does. And I'll give you off your way for credit for trying to, trying to keep to that line, you know. But you know, it's a case of, as they have everything in life politics gets everywhere and you know no matter what you do you know in sports you know in just in everyday life it's there and you know whether you can ever keep it that way forever i doubt but i think people are making too much of it yeah exactly that is exactly what it is rob it's because it's one player 
it, it, it's mm. one player who's decided that he doesn't feel like he can go. He's already done it this season. And like, as I said, with the Carabag game, um, as you said, Rob, if it was in um, in Russia and Dinamo Kiev got there, you're talking then about an entire club going to mm. uh, going somewhere where they could not feel safe. It, exactly. You know, as opposed to one player, you're talking, what, 25 players and 100 staff, not to mention the fans. So mm. it, it's a very minuscule problem. And, yeah, I... I do think that Mkhitaryan could have could have gone because as you say he's going to be with the team the whole time he's never going to be isolated he's never going to be on his own he's not going to be threatened in any way shape or form and the best way to send a message is to stand up to it is to go there mm. and play and mm. it's, it's it's just an unfortunate series of events and um, I feel for I feel for Mkhitaryan, but I just I I do wonder if he could have just gone and um, and sent a message, you know, be defiant and uh, but you know, I don't know. I any, mean, it, 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 yeah. I'm not in his shoes. It's 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 not for me to judge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a difficult one to resolve, and I'm glad I don't have to do it. No, there's nothing to resolve. Uh, it's. The, the crazy, the crazier thing to me, there, there is a fight. You can quite easily do it. You can fly out on Tuesday the twenty eighth and fly back out on Thursday the thirtieth. Those flights direct from Gatwick on Azerbaijan Airlines, so you can get there straight away. Seven hundred and fifty three quid is about a day ticket price for an Arsenal uh, home match. So, <laughs> not too bad. Yeah. admittedly, it's on the furthest cusp of what's in Europe. There's one of the top questions in Google is, is Azerbaijan in Europe or Asia? Well, to me, it's actually in Asia, and but they wouldn't have anybody to play. And so you've got Armenia, you've got Georgia, you've got Azerbaijan. Would they not have a better chance of qualifying for the World Cup, though, if they were in the Asian Confederation? I would have probably thought so against Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan. Mm. So I mean, we've had Australia switch confederations. So yeah, they they could they could quite well have, but and I actually think tomorrow they could switch this to Wembley and there wouldn't be an issue. Wembley will be ready to host it next week and jobs are good. What you can't do is that even if they've sent back. Their 6,000 allocation, they sent half of it back and some of the sponsors aren't going because of where it is and all this other stuff. I'm not bothered about one guy's political stance. He's the Armenian captain. So, so And normally Armenians are not given visas to go to Azerbaijan. So, But they would make a special case for him to do it because of his work and everything. But it's the ancillary benefits of hosting the actual final itself that's what you can't the intangible benefit there of the city who are going to get the extra potentially only 10,000 people turn up and they so maybe get 10,000 extra people it's 10,000 extra people that they're not who've never been to the city and it's supposed to be quite a nice city and quite a warm uh, luxurious resort um, sitting there on the Caspian Sea so, from that perspective, I can see why UEFA have done it. The UEFA have said, 
it you come with a good bid. It's in it's in the right vicinity because Moscow is a ball lake to get to for most people. Yeah. True. Yeah, Romania and, it, and it's just as insen- you know, just as sensitive politically as well. More, more sensitive politically. Yeah, probably more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's a thing because how many people? You're not, you're not safe there if you're Russian, let alone if you. <laughs> and don't, <laughs> and don't forget, and don't forget two English clubs in you know in Russia, given the state of t- given the political state of, you know, where the United Kingdom are in relation to that global politics, might not yeah. be a great a great idea. <laughs> But my my takeaway from this is that you've got to give the small federations, the small cities, something because they already weight the competition to the big boys. Yeah. And so this is a small way of trying to inject something in, and it's only like saying to any any of the other um, countries that could be hosting it because there, there are plenty of ones that could be hosting it. Yeah. To me, it's wrong that the Champions League final is not being held at a is not being held a national stadium. It's a club stadium. Yeah, it's, but to be, to mm. be fair, there's, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of countries have national stadiums as such. Um, I mean, the the Wanda Metropolitano, Atletico Madrid ground, it holds well over sixty thousand, which is, I think is the, is the criteria for a for a stadium. I think it has to be sixty sixty thousand. Yeah. Um, but again, don't get me started on that one because again, the fans have only—I mean, what have they got? Is it thirteen thousand each? Sixteen thousand yeah, each, something like that. Many. Yeah, not many. So this is because it's not about the fans. I think we're getting wrong here. The Champions mm. League and the Europa League are not about the fans. It's all oh, about sponsorship. Not. Absolutely. Oh yeah, because I mean that's what a lot of the crowd will be. Take away the twelve thousand, thirteen thousand tickets for the supporters. Then every other ticket that's going to be sold there would is in likelihood going to be connected in some way with all the sponsors, all the other federations in Europe, you know, and just on general sale elsewhere you know, throughout other outlets. You know, it's basically a case of it's not really it's not an event for the clubs concerned. It's almost like an, an evening's beano, you know. You know, in front of the TV cameras, and there's a football match that happens to be taking place at the same time. So, it's let's go from the biggest club competitions in the world to two finals in one day, all held at Wembley. And I believe you got over to see one of them, James. Uh, no, I watched them on the telly. They were you on BT. On t- they were on BT Sport, both of them, which was um, which was brilliant. Um, the FA Vars final was absolutely superb. It was a fantastic game between um, a team just down the road from Echirksy Town and um, Cray Valley Paper Mills, and it, it it was just a it was a brilliant brilliant game. Um, Chirksey Town won it three one in extra time, played absolutely brilliantly. They they were they played some absolutely lovely lovely football. Um, if that's how they've been, they they already won their division this season as well. So it's a, a double for them. And they they look like they will be able to step up to their next level quite comfortably playing as they did. Um, Dave Anderson was their manager, uh, non-league show uh, legend, uh, managerial legend at Harrowborough. He had that massive unbeaten run at AFC Wimbledon of, um, was it 78 games? I think it is, because I think he's got that in his Twitter handle, hasn't he? Um, mm. And, you know, it was, it was a, just an... 
the perfect way for him to bow out because he's now he's now left the club. I, I assume he's retired. I, I don't think he's, I, he's left to um, to go to another club. I think it was a retirement, and yeah. it was on pretty much immediately after the final. Wasn't well, it? it 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 was announced. The, the commentators mentioned it during the game, so I assume he told the players in the build up to the game, and they went out and they did him proud. They were uh, they were brilliant. They was they were so so good. Um, I mean, the, the, the third, I think it was the third goal that um, the big centre-back scored. I mean, he curled, curled one in from 30 yards, which put um, Vincent Company's goal against Leicester to shame. It was, it was, it was a stunner. It was an absolute stunner. It was brilliant. Um, but they, they did play some lovely football. Cray Valley had their, uh, their moments as well. And, you know, and they found themselves a little bit unlucky, but I think the better team won on the day. And then um, in, the, in the FA Trophy final... Superb free kick from uh, was it Danny Rowe? I think his name is. Yeah. For Fylde against Leighton Orient. So um, the second trip to Wembley for Fylde in just over a week. Uh, they, they they obviously they lost the playoff final to Salford, um, but they did manage to get to win um, non-league's most prestigious cup um, against Leighton Orient, who you know got their own celebrations because they they're going back into League Two. Um, so yeah, a brilliant day to cracking non-league matches fantastic advert for for the level of football and um you know all four teams can can um be proud of 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 the account they gave of themselves and you know you, it, i can't wait for <laughs> for a year's time when we see the next uh, the next finals it, it was um it was really good and you know kudos to bt for for showing them again you know they they always they always support the non-league football and the uh, early rounds of the fa cup and things like that so um you know, really, really fitting, really good for them to get to cracking finals to uh, to broadcast on their channel as well. The only problem with the um, trophy final that soured it for me was something that was that basically came out. I don't know. I think it was on the day before, and apparently, late Orient made an application to the FA to allow there to be seven substitutes named instead of the usual five. The argument was they wanted to make sure that all players in their squad had the opportunity to play in a big occasion at Wembley before they went back to the Premier League. <laughs> and I was just thinking, they've played how many hundred games in the trophy? And everybody made had to make decisions about players to, yeah, to select, players to leave out. Players that had earned the the performance and yet we had late Orient and you can read the you can read the um, comments on the website it's there they've put the statement out on the Saturday and apparently what had happened they'd made this application the FA said well you'll have to talk to AFC Fylde about this you know would they be an agreeable to, you know to have this Fylde had said yeah go on then it had gone back to an FA committee and the FA committee said no you're not and apparently um, it had all broken out again on the Friday before the game, where it had been agreed. But Fylde had already set off with the with the squad of sixteen starting players and couldn't bring in anybody else. But I was just thinking, a club like Leighton Orient wanting to change the rules for one match for themselves, in essence, because you can still only use three of them. Just to give every member of the squad a, ch you know, a chance or give some recognition for them for the season? Excuse me. 
that sounds like professional entitlement. We're late Norians. We're we're back in the back in you know League Two. We're a big club. Let's try this. Let's ask. I'm sorry, but the rules are the rules. The rules say five substitutes from which three can be chosen. Why change it for one match just to suit, you know, just because you want it to be so? It's a bit like, you know, say for an example of Manchester City wanting to name a bench of 11 players. You know, you can still only use three of them. So why did, you, so why did Leighton Orient want to change it? And I have to admit, I can't deny I had a running battle with somebody on Twitter on, you know, on the day of the final itself. And... You know, it was just a case of I couldn't understand what the why the reasoning made it such a thing that they wanted to do. Every club was played in that competition in the, this season, as I said earlier, will have had to make a choice: which players to take, which players to leave out, which players have earned it, which players haven't. And somebody will always lose out when it comes to a Wembley final. It happens every year. With the you know, you think of the finals that are played there. What is the half a dozen a year? You know, in all competitions, I'm not sure. But every every club will have had to make that choice about which players can play and which players can't. But no, it didn't seem to matter about that. They just wanted to make sure that you know all of the players had a game. I'm sorry, Leighton Orient, that's bang out of order. Take yourself no. back off to League Two and don't bother coming back. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, two months in the evening, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think it's one of those uh, one of those things where it, I, d- I don't fully understand the rationale behind it. Um, <clears throat> it. It did seem a strange request to do. Maybe they just uh, don't like the John Terry full kit wanker, uh, <laughs> and that's what they're trying to trying to stop. And um, which is a noble gesture in some respects. Uh, <laughs> but let's let's look at it here. The, We've reached virtually the end of the season, uh, fully the end of the season now. The, the domestic season in England and Scotland is all over. Oh, playoffs, apart from the player finals. <sighs> yeah. They're... Regular season. They're, they're, they're outside the season. There's got this weekend <laughs> coming up and then that's it all done and dusted. And it's been, a, it's been an interesting year. I've enjoyed I've enjoyed the games this year. It's, it seems to be a lot more closeness and a lot more battles that we've expected, and it's also been nice um, starting the podcast again. Yeah, definitely. And, and yeah. talking uh, week in, week in, week in, week out football. So yeah. I think with that we can wrap it up tonight. We're going to have uh, back next week with more as uh, per usual. Uh, so James, Game of James FM. Yep, that's me. Um, it's, as you say, Christian, it's, it, it's been really good to um, to have you available so that we can that we can get this back up and running. Um, really enjoyed the fact that we now branch out into um, other other areas of football rather than just non-league. We all love non-league football. That's you know that's where where our our, our love lies probably. Um, but I watch a lot of European football, so to be able to um, have a place to to chat about that and bring it to to um to the four is is fantastic um yep as you say at gamer james fm on twitter and on youtube um and well if we're recording uh we record on a thursday night so next week we will have a uh, a europa league final to talk about and a and obviously the playoff finals 
and a Champions League final to, to maybe have a look at. And I'd, I would like to have a little discussion on the Premier League title race and if it actually was good. So maybe maybe we could touch on that next week. Mm. That definitely could be one that could go places. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, this is the thing. It's what happens at the end of the season. You start talking about all the things that's been griping you over the, the rest of the year. Uh, Rob, Rabid Robo, we're not going to find out tonight. Ranty Robo tonight. Which I apologise, guys. It's not, often, it's not often I get two subjects in a week and really uh, choose a face bowl like his. But, um, you know, it's just... We've all, we've all got our opinions and that's the great part of the podcast. We've got room to share them. And, you know, we just yeah it's, it's just a great thing to have and um you know hopefully we can keep taking this podcast forward because it's just such great fun every thursday evening yeah so you can always follow the show uh at facebook we go again and you can also go across to we go again podcast.com uh to listen to any of the back door you can you can also go to hopefully if it's working now itunes and uh, we're also on spotify uh, but whatever you're doing, I thank you for listening. <laughs>